to Sea and Free Studio. This is the place where you come to talk about your unique, special, and different. And today, I have an incredibly unique, special, and different guest, Josh Schulmeyer. Josh is the co-founder and editor-in-chief of Mel Magazine, which the New York Times has called, and I'm going to put this in quotes, the rare men's magazine that has taken upon itself to investigate masculinity, not enforce it. It gets double points for managing to pull off that project with style and charm, not self-seriousness. Previously, Josh had dreamt up the popular Kenja site Playboy SFW, an effort to bring back the brand's commitment to social sexual values. He's also written a bunch of stuff, most notably uh, an ebook called Enemies, a love story about the bromance between dueling film critics Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert. He served as producer on the directed Ebert documentary, documentary Life Itself, which was shortlisted for an Oscar and won an Emmy. He was most recently named to Adweek's Creative 100 in the Media Innovators category and, and included as a finalist for Digiday's Publishing Exec of the Year. Josh, please welcome to Sea and Free Studio. Oh, thank you for having me. It's been a long time, so it's good to see you. I know, I know. We haven't gotten to see each other much since, exactly. I guess. We went. We worked together, for anybody who doesn't know, and we went into lockdown in March, and we have not gotten to see, but we used to be neighbors. Yes, And you true. barbecue the best okra. Well, thank you. You taught me how to barbecue yes. okra. Thank you. <laughs> who I knew? Do, I do love okra. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it was great. Um, well, Josh, tell everybody a little bit about what you're doing these days, where you are in the world. Obviously, you are here with me today right. in Los Angeles, but where are you normally? Well, I live in Los Angeles, and I'm normally sort of in front of my computer working, uh, which is where I'm probably most comfortable, um, and just trying to make sense of the dumpster fire that is the last couple of years. Yes, yeah, and you are one to make sense of it, too. I mean, we're doing our best. <laughs> Um, so this is all about, and you've watched a few of the episodes, you know, this is all about what makes you unique, special, and different. So as you reflect on that, what is that for you? Well, I mean, you have told me this uh, and texted that I have a, a resiliency uh, that is kind of bar none. Yeah. Um, so I think um, resiliency, tenacity, uh, maybe idiocy for, you know, <laughs> I don't. I don't really, I continue to bang my head into a wall and it doesn't really stop me. And I think, um, yeah, I think that helps take me, I, I think I have a lot of things that make me unique and talented, but I think that that kind of puts me over the top. And in the industry I'm in, I always say like, you know, 99% of the people who are at the level that we're at are very talented. It's what are you going to do to fill in that other 1%? And I feel like you know, you're not allowed to quote Woody Allen anymore, but the the whole notion of like 90% of life is showing up. Mm -hmm. I think that there is something to that. I think that there's something to making sure you're always there that you're, you know, I say this to my staff a lot, like reps are really important. I don't necessarily believe the Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hours thing, but practice is useful. And I think, you know, really being tenacious about that and learning from your mistakes. And I think all those little things kind of do put you over the top, even when you have a lot of natural talent. Can you talk about, just so people can understand the industry you're, that you're in and why that tenacity is so important? Because I've learned a Speaking ton. Speaking of dumpster fires. <laughs> right? Yes. I've learned a ton from you about the content world and editorial you know, industry and, and journalism and everything that you've done. Can you just explain that world and why it is, is so intense and how you have to have this kind of stick-to-itiveness to, well, to I think get there? One, it's intense because people want more content than ever before but are unwilling to pay for 
work, click on ads, et cetera, et cetera. So it's just become a really difficult business first and foremost. And so you have to be able to handle rejection creatively. And then I think you have to handle with the rejection of even when you're successful, it's very difficult sometimes to sustain stuff, right? So that in and of itself is, is you know, where you need some tenacity. And also it's just, you have to be ready for people online, especially it's a brutal, brutal environment. And you, you referenced the, the Playboy Safer Work site that I, that I conceived when I was at Playboy. And that was on Kinja, which is, you know, the platform that Gawker Media used and Gawker Media, arguably one of the biggest digital media brands of, of the last 20 years. And, you know, part of what made that great were all the commenters but I can tell you that that was the toughest, like, bare-knuckle barroom brawling I've ever done. And and what was so hard about that one is, like, everybody was not only just really mean, but they were right. <laughs> so you would you would read the stuff that they'd say about you, and not only would it really hurt your feelings, but you'd be like, God, they, why didn't I think of that? And you just have to be, you know, I, I think you have to sign yourself over to that and just, like, kind of be comfortable that that's the environment that you're in. And then I think the other thing that's really hard about the industry is like, you need content more than ever before. Like Mm -hmm. it is a 24 seven job. There is no unhooking from, especially the way the news cycle has been the last 12 months and that's grinding. And, you know, uh, you know, it is really hard and you have to have a high metabolism um, and really be able to have that mentality too of forget the past very quickly, right? Like good or bad. You know, if you do something great, who can, in five minutes, no one's going to care anymore because you need to keep feeding the beast. And the same thing, like you can't get too down when you do something lousy uh, because, again, you got to be there in five more minutes. And I've always liked that that sports maxim of, you know, the 24-hour rule where you can be upset about something or really high about something for 24 hours and then it's time to start all over again. And I think that that's really useful. Yeah. I mean, did you, so tell me what Josh was like as a kid, because did you learn this tenacity and resiliency and, you know, uh, your ability to make these sprints in life? Did you learn that early on or did you develop this recognition over time? Well, I come from a very blue collar Midwestern background, so nobody really in my family went to college. Everybody worked in the trades. And my dad would not allow me in high school or in, in college. I was not allowed to get an internship. I went and worked in his lumberyard every summer. Uh, and I would be there at 530 in the morning and I would be there till basically six o'clock at night, seven o'clock at night. And I learned, I, you know, that was hard work. And I, I realized that, you know, I had a real opportunity and um, that doing 12 hours of what I do, that's like standing, that's easy compared to what real work is like. And I think, you know, it didn't like scare me straight or anything, but I thought I owed it. You know, I had an opportunity that other people didn't. And I do understand what real hard work is and the level of exhaustion physically I felt doing that stuff every summer is like nothing I've ever felt. I, it was like I had narcolepsy for four months. I mean, that's just how brutal. Yeah. And you'd see everybody around you. And, and even at my age now, like in your early 40s, their bodies were just so beat up and, you know, life had ground them down. And, and I, I have that mentality of like, one, I'm always like looking over my shoulder for that. But two, I also like, if anything happens, I'll just go work on my uncle's plumbing crew. You know what I mean? Like that's not <laughs> beneath me either. Yeah, exactly. That's good. I'll that's go back really to good. Ralph's and stock shelves. I kind of like doing that in high school. Yeah. You know? so. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, I mean, so have, has there been a challenge though for you over time where 
it was hard to push through because you you have to do that, like like you said, and you obviously learned you know that work ethic early on. But has there been a time where you just like, wow, I just don't know if I can keep going. My USD is being really challenged. Yeah, but that's where the idiocy comes in, I think. You know what I mean? And also just the, I like proving people wrong and I like kicking indoors. So I think in some ways when it when it doesn't happen, it just sort of makes me be like, well, I'll say this too. It comes with a deep sense of conviction that I'm right and not a, like I'm right because I think I'm smarter than everybody else, but I do really deeply think about things before I make a decision. And I have to have that conviction. And when I have that conviction, then I can do, I, I don't care what all of the data shows, you know, up into a certain point, like I know that there's something there because I've really, really, really thought deeply about it, right? I'll give up every once in a while or lament or, or probably better yet, learn along the way and, and adjust. And I think that one of the, I, I think people, it wasn't until we started working together really where I'd started like kind of like not failing, but it was like really a struggle, right? Mm -hmm. And I think I'm so glad in the end, as painful as that was, that I went through all of that stuff because I learned so much. And I've always said that I'm not like the fastest like learner the first time around, but I'm really good like quickly learning from my mistakes. And like the second or third time, like I really get stuff. And I think that that's where the reps come in. And when I say like, I don't really buy the, the Malcolm Gladwell 10,000, I don't think you need to, there's no magical thing. I do think though that like a lot of people don't get stuff the first or second time, right? Yeah. yeah. But if you're cognizant enough to think hard about like why it didn't work out or you want to, you want to fix it and you want to get better at it, you can if you sit critically and think about what went wrong and how do you adjust it. And I think you can be really good then. You don't need 10,000 hours. You can be good on the fourth or fifth time and you can understand how to continue to tweak it. And I, I do think that doors being shut help you understand that. And also, again, help you understand that you you can, you know, when we started working together, when I started at mm -hmm. the company we worked at, everybody told me I was insane that this would never work and, and blah, blah, blah. And it's nice when you read that, like it, it has, you know? And, yeah. And that was because I just, I could see it. I thought hard about it. I understood the calculus and, you know, I was given a lot of runway and there was a ton of help along the way, but like I was pretty myopic because I had made my mind up that this could work. And, and, you know, maybe it's delusional, maybe it's fake news. Maybe I only see it one way, but I have a knack of like, when I can see it like that, I can usually make it happen. Even if there's some bumps yeah yeah well and i think you know you do have that where you, but, but that's part of the tenacity and the resilience is you always have a destination i've never known you to be somebody that doesn't think about what you're building it's not like you're just it's not purposeless activity that you're you're just putting in the energy and going nowhere like you've always had a pretty clear vision of what you're building and um and that's why I think it's so exciting that you've been able to pull it together despite some of the challenges and obstacles. Yeah, I think what's interesting is what I've learned as I've gotten older is like, I do always have the destination. And I think before I was so bound up in like, not only do I need to have the destination, if I know where Z is, I also need to know where B, C, D, E, you know? Mm -hmm. When I talk about like learning, I think what I've learned is like, actually all you need is Z. And how you get to Z 
can be whatever. <laughs> like you can skip decay, you can do every other step and you're going to learn a lot of stuff along the way and how to get there. I think, I do think though, it is very important to understand what you're trying to accomplish. Like, I don't want to, I, I think there's a lot of hard work, especially in the creative side that people don't want to do. They want to conjure this magic. Right. Mm. And the reality is I think the hardest thing about being a creative professional is you realize like, actually it is what you're doing at 3 PM on a Tuesday and can like at, on a random Tuesday, can you, when you're maybe not feeling your best or your most creative or whatever, can you still conjure this up? Can yeah. you, can you find it? Can you be better on your best day than everybody else? And I think that's when you start to learn all of these little kind of tricks of the trade, but you do need to sit there and think hard about what are you trying to accomplish, you know? And then I think it's easier to drive toward that, uh, even if you don't have the map, yeah. because you kind of do, mm-hmm. you, you're just making the map up. And I, that's the part that I've gotten much more comfortable with, right? Like. Yeah making the journey up as I go, as long as I know where I'm going. Yeah, that's great. And you talked about learning. I mean, in order for you to put out as much content as you do, that's relevant, that's, you know, yeah, that 3,500 posts a year, right? Not like counting social. provocative, relevant, current, you know, how, where do, how do you learn? Like, where do you get the knowledge that you get, or at least the ideas, like to your point that you have to well, I have brilliant, brilliant people, you yeah. know, and we have a lot of fun every morning. We sit for an hour and everybody sort of throws up everything that they're seeing and hearing. And I'm just naturally curious. Like I have a lot. If anything, I would say that's like a blessing and a curse. Like some days I wonder, does the site make sense? Because in my head, I'm curious about a lot of different stuff. Like I love sports, but I love politics, but I love, you know, and so like, how does this work and how do you refract it through a vision? And like, I'm just really naturally curious about a lot of stuff. You know, and I think, and I'm also, as I've gotten older, I'm much more curious about myself. And I think what's worked about Mel in particular is that like, you know, I used to joke it is me working through some shit, but I think it really was me trying to figure out when I started it, I was 36. I just had my second child. Uh, I was starting to get, my body was starting to get older in ways that I had never experienced before. And I was like, and the world was really starting to rapidly change, right? And and men's place in the world was rapidly changing. And I was starting to really question kind of everything I had learned and, you know, the idea of toughness that I grew up with and um, all the stuff that's now sort of very much of the zeitgeist. And the only credit I'll give myself is I really surrendered myself to trying to figure out, like, a lot of the stuff that was roiling in my mind about this, I just worked it out through the work that we do and it's really rewarding and we have about four or four and a half million people that read the site every month and it's it's rewarding to see that there's a lot of other people out there that that relate to that and and that's not even a gender thing it's sort of an adulting thing you know like when you have to start thinking about stuff for the first time in your life even you know there's no real magic age for that right that can happen at 25 that can happen at 32 that can happen at 45 and you know I have utilized that to kind of try to understand me and like, what am I, you know, what am I here to do? What am I trying to learn? And, you know, that is probably maybe the thing I'm most curious about, not in a narcissistic way, but, um, you know, in a really human way. Yeah. Helps you figure out the world. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, I appreciate it as a mom of two boys. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I, I've learned a lot from Mel Magazine yeah. <laughs> about the male psyche and yeah. what happens to the body. Got one that's smack dab in the middle of puberty. Yes, so um, it's been really helpful for me to, to be able to 
be a bit of a voyeur into the the world of, of men. Well, I love the best compliment people ever tell us is men are always like, I feel so seen when I go to your site. Yes. And I'm like, that's great because that's the whole point. Like we're trying yeah. to make everybody think a little bit harder about this stuff yeah. or laugh about it. So. Well, I think you are. I, I think it's great. And you do write some amazing stories. I think some stuff that's really unexpected. Um, and I, I think it's, it's wonderful. Josh, this is the part of the show where I like to ask a random question. Yeah, now, sure. it might seem like every question has been random up to yeah. this point. Yeah. <laughs> so, Randomizing. That's right, yes. Yeah. Uh, but you get a little bit of choice here. You get to pick between 1 and 25, and then I'll tell you the question. All right, how about uh, 17? 17. All right. Okay, we're looking at the canvas of your fulfilled life. What do we see? Huh. Wow, that's like deep. <laughs> I can switch I to thought something this was more shallow. Be like, what, what macaroni and cheese shell do you like? Um, the canvas of my life, what do I see? Uh, I think that what I would like more than anything is to see the impact that I've made on others. Like, I think that part... I've realized more and more like that is the part that I really enjoy is like trying to influence, you know, try, trying to draw out the best in other people. Mm. Like maybe at the end of the day, it's not about me, but me as a vessel or helping pull that stuff out of people. And I don't know what that would look like. I'm not an artist, <laughs> but um, whether it's my kids or my, my, my employees or, you know, my cousins that I play softball with, uh, you know, back in the day, I would, you know, what I can help them with or what I've been able to that that means a lot to me yeah that's really cool so as you think about like the next steps on your own journey to do that like what's next for you I don't know I think a walk in the wilderness is what I keep <laughs> like I think I want to you know I've dedicated my life pretty hardcore over the last decade plus to you know two or three very distinct four very distinct projects that I've poured everything into you know long time long, long, you know, I don't sleep much uh, by design. I don't really need it. Um, so I would like to do a little bit of everything, you know, uh, I think, and to that, to the point, earlier point of like, it'll allow me to kind of like work with more people, get more, you know, I used to love, I, um, I wrote a story at Maxim about Grant Ackett's, who's one of the most famous chefs in America. He has a linea in Chicago. And at the time he had um, tongue cancer, 32 year old mm -hmm. star chef was gonna lose his tongue. And he told me the story about he was a rising star in the culinary world. And he just decided that he loved, he, he wanted to just keep learning instead of, so he went to the French Laundry with Thomas Keller up in Napa and he made wine for two years for no money. And just because he wanted to learn the, the art and the technique and really get his hands dirty and be closer to it all. And I'm looking for that. I think that's the next thing that I want to do is like, that's what I mean about the wilderness. I want to go out there. I want to experience things at a very base, meaningful level yeah. and, and incorporate as many of those things into my own life and into the people that I, that I've, you know, stumble into along the way. Yeah, that's great. I love it. Well, it sounds like some people that you used to hang out with uh, um, are doing some cool stuff uh, at the Bulletin for Atomic Yeah, the Bulletin for Atomic Scientists, yes. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Because we want to highlight nonprofits that are yeah. doing some cool work, and you have exposed me to this one. Yeah, so the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists was founded in 1945 by a number of Manhattan Project scientists who were working on the nuclear bomb at the University of Chicago. Um, and it created something pretty famous. Uh, my friend Martil Langsdorf, uh, RIP, 
Um, she was the wife of one of them, and she came up with something called the Doomsday Clock, uh, which they set every year based on how close the world is to nuclear annihilation. When I was there, the clock was expanded to include climate change and biological dangers, such as the current pandemic that we're in, and bio, uh, biological terrorism and whatnot. So um, forever and ever and ever uh, has been sort of a, a hugely influential um, policy instrument in terms of in the 50s and 60s and the 70s and 80s in arms control and arms control treaties and trying to cut down on the nuclear arsenals between the Soviet Union and the US. And in more recent years, uh, certainly a huge arbiter on climate and, uh, uh, you know, um, terrorism involving weapons of mass destruction. And honestly, a lot when I talk about climate with nuclear energy itself. So after, uh, was it Fukushima in Japan? Um, you know, the Bolton kind of had a huge uh, renewed relevance in terms of, you know, what are we going to do about nuclear waste, nuclear power? How does that fit into the, the whole climate portfolio? So really, really important work. I worked there for six years in my 20s. We won a National Magazine Award when I was there. Uh, I wrote a piece that was in the best American um, science writing uh, or selected to be in there and just a really special place in my heart. And I think I know there are so many important causes in this world, but in this one, there could be nothing more existential <laughs> than global annihilation. Yes. And, you know, the nuclear scientists we talk about looking from inside your, or looking at, at yourself, you know, deeply. Here are men uh, who created this thing, thinking that it would help save the world, not, not necessarily in terms of the end of World War II, but they really had a fervent belief that it was going to have this energy source that was going to solve all the world's problems. And instead it became, you know, the very thing that basically, be, you know, Russian roulette with the, the earth. And so um, I just, th them reconciling that, uh, especially in the issues like in the fifties and sixties was really fascinating to read. And all of them fancied themselves, you know, poets. And, you know, that was when scientists were, we're kind of men of letters on top of yeah. doing science. So I, it has a real special place in my heart. And I think the mission is very important for humankind. Well, thank you. I, you know, I looked them up after I saw um, you wanted to support them. And it's, it's some really cool work. Like, and it's, it's, you know, something that I think we probably don't even think about, but they're thinking about all the time. Yeah. Um, and um, so I want to make sure that our viewers take time to go and check them out. Donate, please. Uh, there will be a QR code on your screen. So if you're watching this on YouTube, please go up, take a snapshot of that. It takes you right to the donation site. Otherwise, you can look them up online um, and we'll have information on cnfreestudio.com. Josh, I'm so glad you came to yeah, hang out with me tonight. Yeah, yeah. Um, just down the street. Right? Yeah, and you and I met years ago. I think we met in 2014. Um, Sounds about right. Yep, and you tried to talk me out of taking a job. And I'm, I I'm good at that. Yeah, <laughs> and I decided to take the job because I wanted to work with you because well, you were so that. honest and uh, you're a good guy and I loved hearing about your family and uh, the journey that you've been on. So it's been a pleasure knowing you, sir. I'm yeah. so excited to see what you do next and well, I'm really you. glad you joined us. Yeah, well, thank you for having me. Of course. Well, and that's a wrap for another episode of See and Free Studio. Please check us out on seeandfreestudio.com, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. You can find us everywhere. Please subscribe. I want to see you come back each time. And thanks for visiting. Music